This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Hello, hi y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. Aloha, y'all. This is the intro. Well, of course it is. It's the first things you're hearing, right? At least from my voice in the current time and space. Welcome to the Breaking Normal podcast. This one's going to be really fun. Like, uh, the situation is that I've heard the hardest pill to swallow for most people is the truth. So not why not put it in the capsule of comedy? That seems like the best capsule. And speaking of the best capsules, we do have our, you'll hear me allude to it, but we do have our product called Heart On, our Valentine's seasonal batch available right now at tribevitamins.com, which is basically a capsule um, made of 34% freeze-dried raw, 100% grass-fed bison testicles, 33% bison heart, and 33% bison liver. And... You know, you're not going to hear much about the effects of bison testicles there because there's just not that many on the market. But we accumulated enough to make a batch of about 100-plus bottles. And you may have noticed, if you've been following Tribe Vitamins for the year now, the year plus now, that the bison liver is our flagship product because that is arguably the single most important superfood to microdose daily. And we've done some really cool micro, super micro seasonal batches, such as this heart on. And in the past, we've had bison heart no longer available currently. We've had bison organ complex. We just basically distributed our last bottle we had today. We can get more of that. So watch out for that. Visit the website and subscribe to any of the products that you want to make sure that you have. And then this heart on, who knows how long it's going to last. I trust it's still available by the time you hear this. So go visit tribevitamins.com and enjoy the beauty of this capsule that Ty the Fish Baby is about to deliver. Holy moly. Thank you, Tyler. Let's keep breaking normal. And I almost forgot to mention, uh, listen to the most recent podcast with Aaron Meshke titled, You Can't Just Complain, Get Your Heart On. Because uh, guess what? Let's celebrate. Boulder County is removing its mandates tomorrow at 5 p.m. Mask mandates and I think other mandates for uh, school systems, for all the good places that I could, that I really wanted to hear about. You know, if you get into the details of it, they'll probably have still strong suggestions for these fascist ideas. But, uh, you know, that's just for you to consider. Now, restaurant owners, business owners, uh, dance studio owners, uh, school owners, and such, they no longer have to mandate that silly face diaper for uh, people two years and older so big celebration and i actually felt like i had a part in that we i took a lot of action on getting people to vote on the right sites so that the health board members could see what the local community thought and got and, and catalyzed a lot by taking a stand on the daily and speaking my voice and explaining the absurdity that i thought was happening and hosting this podcast which we tyler and i talk a lot about you'll see Oh, we did it. We did it. Um, 
and I don't think we only did it. I think it had a lot to do with the Super Bowl and all our old school, our OGs showing up on the stage maskless and full of their face and full of their gifts and what the Canadian truckers are doing, standing for their truth. I think we're on the tipping point of, uh, you know, maybe the apocalypse of consciousness happens the same time as the ascension does. It's like two sides of the same coin as everything else is day and night, life and death. Holy moly, which side are you choosing? Is life a choice or is it a chance? I think it has more to do, I think destiny has more to do with choices than chances. And I think your chances have a lot to do with what choices you make. So keep choosing the side of the coin that resonates with your, your heart, your highest self, and keep getting that heart on. And uh, if, you need, if you want some, the power of taking a sacrament known as bison, heart, liver, and testicles as a reminder of that dedication and dharma and duty, we'll do it and do it right before you listen to Tyler here. Oh, by the way, those pills are not meant to be taken every day like the bison liver is. I would take that uh, like before, if you're, if you're in the market at all for baby making or muscle making it, taking, taking it right before those sessions might be the wisest and smartest strategy that I can think of in the current moment. So let me know how it goes for you. I love hearing y'all's testimonies about that and this podcast. Let's keep doing it, y'all. Peace in. Aloha, y'all. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm here with Ty the Fish, also known as Tyler Fisher, where you can find them on his website, tylerfisher.com or Ty the Fish on social media. And we will include those links in the show notes. But uh, thanks for being my Valentine today. I, I I just realized that I got a little sad uh, when you, <laughs> it's like, this is all I have planned tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll make it uh, fun enough where it's a highlight a highlight for a holy day known as today. Um, you just told me you have the flu. I had, uh, yeah, a, a flu-like thing. I didn't, uh, I didn't get any tests or anything. Um, so I did it old school and just stayed home and recovered and didn't panic. <laughs> well, it's an, it's an interesting way to go about things these days because it seems like when uh, anyone has any type of symptoms, they're getting ready to stick a, some sort of q-tip laced with something up their brain exactly yeah yeah they want to know where what it is which variant where it came from who gave it to them it's uh it's this obsession that i'm not taking part in anymore <laughs> well i'm happy to hear that that's uh, definitely inspiring and i love that um comedians that i know are taking a stand i don't officially know joe rogan personally but what an American hero. Um, I do know J.P. Sears. He was the very first guest on this podcast. And yeah. you may know the uh, schedule of the synchronicity. I mean, the schedule of this podcast is synchronicity. And it's pretty interesting. When I go to your Instagram right now, the very first picture I see is you and J.P. Yeah, yeah. I just posted a pic. Yeah. And uh, it's it, it was good to know. He's also, I'm pretty short. So that was the most exciting part about meeting him was like, oh, this guy's uh, about my height, maybe like an inch, inch or two taller. But <laughs> it's good to see <coughs> some fellow short, successful men because there, are, there actually aren't a lot of them statistically. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard I've heard statistics about that, oh, especially when it comes gonna, to political power. I'm going to get right into my uh, the oppression in my life. I'll get right into that. <laughs> well, it's cool that you and JP are connected. I mean... I'm well. How? What is that picture from? Is that from the Washington D.C. rally that you y'all both partook in? Yeah, that's from the uh, Hitler Youth um, uh, anti-Jew uh, Jew, uh, mandate. Uh, uh, no, pro 
pro-anti-Jew rally. <laughs> well, you know uh, what I love about JP, and I don't know you that well. I'm not sure if you even know of me before today, um, but I do think the best capsule for truth, I, I sell a dietary supplement made from, actually today we're launching one called Heart On, and it's made of bison testicles, heart, and liver. And we get to choose the capsule for that powder. And I think the best capsule for truth is comedy. So uh, thank yeah, you yeah. for doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you and JP. And how, what was that rally about? For someone that doesn't keep up with this stuff, my understanding is that Robert F. Kennedy was a huge part of this, maybe the one that was pioneering it. Was JP the MC? Uh, and by the way, Robert F. Kennedy recently re released a book called The Real Dr. Anthony Fauci. The real Anthony and, Fauci, yeah. Yeah, The Real Anthony Fauci. And if you don't, if you believe in evil and you don't need data, then I really wouldn't recommend it. But if you want data to prove that uh, evil exists in the, in the human suits of some of the people that are walking our uh, political platforms right now, check that book out. Have you read it? I listened to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to as we're talking, I am going to pull it up on my audio audible because I have like a thousand free ones. I'm really, yeah. Oh, wow. I don't, I listen to the same ones over and over again. So. Really? Tell me which yeah. books, which ones do you listen to over and over again? I listen to uh, Woody Allen's uh, uh, bio. Um, uh, what is it called? Uh, autobiography. Uh, every night to fall asleep. Um, Lately I've been doing that with uh, Alan Watts is um, I I forget the name of it. There we go. Like, yeah, one. They came to one free credit. There, I got it. All right, that's bots confirmed. Done. That's some inspired action. All right, I'm gonna head out, man. If you want to just uh, wrap it up. <laughs> There's a lot of data in there. There's a lot of data about how like Dr. Fauci has done this before, specifically with AIDS and the HIV yeah. virus. And I, and for some reason, I've been hearing a lot about that lately. I don't even know what's coming, but some it seems like they're doing something down the pipeline. Yeah, he had, he had similar talks back then. He's like, you really want to put a mask on your penis? It'll prevent the AIDS droplets. Uh, maybe put uh, some pantyhose over the mask and a small penile shield. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's ridiculous. I mean, um, oh, so the Woody Allen and then... Um, I, when I had the flu, I, I get really sick once a year. It's just, I come from like a sickly family, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. And so we get sick really easily. So, uh, I, I was laid out for two weeks. Like I couldn't walk for about a week, the just classic flu. So I decided to listen to the Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn, I can't say it right, um, which if anybody doesn't know is, uh, is about the, the forced slave labor camps in the Soviet Union where they did some of the most horrific torture techniques probably known to man. And so I thought if I listen to that and hear about how bad they're suffering, I won't complain about being sick. So um, not only that, in regards to the book, but uh, listening to the, the book and, re and researching that type of history was the reason that I got involved in these types of rallies uh, for medical freedom. So it all kind of ties together, but. That's interesting. I never even heard of that book. Did you listen to oh, that on Audible as well, or did you uh, actually read? I, I listened to it on Audible because 
it, the, the impact of hearing somebody actually say out loud what was done to these people uh, is way more profound, I think, than reading it. And yeah, no, this book is, um, this book led to the end of, uh, of Soviet Russia. Because the U.S., whether or not we were in denial of what was happening over there, or um, uh, a lot of it was hidden at first, this guy was a prisoner, and he secretly wrote this book and journaled about what was going on there. When the book came out, it's one of the reasons uh, it's cha it changed history. Right off the bat, that kind of reminded me of uh, Victor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Have you heard of that book? I read that one too, yeah. Nah, yeah. That's a big one. That one changes a lot of people's lives. Yeah, this one is a little more uh, disturbing. Not to compare the two events, but um, you just can't believe the stuff that they would do. They would, they would essentially torture you until you... Um, falsely confessed and gave up family members or friends who then would be brought in and tortured. So it's essentially the story of the people who resisted confessing, which meant having their nails ripped off, uh, being put in a, uh, having their spines broken one by one. Like, I mean, being kept awake for two weeks, hanging uh, from you know, a rafter. And these people, including elderly women, would not give in. And it's like, you just, you can't even understand how someone can um, go through something like that. So to me, going to a rally like this or standing up or giving up, you know, I gave up my job as a comedian in New York to fight for basic human freedoms um comparatively is not <laughs> it's it's not so bad it sucks but is that where you're at currently in new york yeah i'm in brooklyn okay um you you're also just all of a sudden reminded me of 1984 another great book to read these days i didn't that know i need to read I, I have not read that oh okay that's yeah you would think that uh, it was a caution i thought it was a cautionary tale but it seems more like a prophetic playbook Interesting. And it's very similar to some of the things you alluded to there. So when you say you gave up your job, uh, tell me, you know, I don't know, it's, it's rare that I know so little about someone that I'm interviewing, but I do know that I saw some freaking hilarious videos. Yeah. Like, I mean, I gave, gave up. It's interesting if, yeah, how you even want to phrase it. I mean, essentially the comedy club said, if you don't get vaccinated, you can't perform here anymore. And I had just had and recovered from COVID. There was a lot of um, speculation on if you had the antibodies, should you go get the vaccine right away? It was actually quite um, unanimous that, that that wasn't a good idea. So uh, I thought it was insane to have the proposition of, of being fired for not you know, getting it, but it's been um, four or five months. And I lost, you know, I, I, I just got into the biggest clubs in the world, you know, clubs that people move to the U.S. to get into. And uh, comedians dedicate their lives to being a regular at these places. So I gave up uh, one of the main ones. And then I was just auditioning for another one of the, the, the big ones. 
And I decided this is more important than being in those places. Well, thank you so much for that, because I really believe, I always believe that musicians in particular could have created a tipping point so we didn't go down the trail of communism. But I'm amazed of how many of them somehow are like, and the craziest thing is I have actually talked to some of them that I know that are performing at places that require passports and their rationalization is they have a family to feed and they don't give a shit where their vaccine passport comes from. Meaning, unfortunately or not, it sounds like a lot of musicians might be um, using fake vaccine cards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To coerce musicians, comedians, absolutely. To coerce civilians into getting this thing so that they can see them perform. So yeah, thank you well, for not doing that. Really, well, truly. you know, I don't, I don't have a family. I, and who's to say where I'd be if I had three kids? And if, if you know, who, who's to say? I can't. It's hard to blame anybody. And aside from the people that put us in that position by gaslighting and manipulating people to do it because you know i look i uh, a friend of mine made me a fake card as a joke because one night we went to a bar in manhattan and we walk in and it's his favorite bar he goes there every night and they go vaccine card please and we're like <laughs> that's hilarious we walk in they go no we're requiring vaccine cards so this business decided to do it before it was mandated by the government. And we walked out of there, dude, I, we were like, we sat on a, on a bench. Like we couldn't believe what had just happened. And it was kind of like the beginning of the end for us because then a few weeks later it was mandated. And, um, but anyways, he made me a fake card as a joke after that experience. And then one night I'm coming home from a show. It's like 20 degrees out. I'm starving. And I went to go get some dinner and it was the first place I saw them ask for it. And I caved, I used it. I, you know, I've used it a couple times for food. So that's my, right now, that is my, um, uh, I guess that's what I'm willing to do. I'm not willing to do it to perform because that makes other people, puts other, my fans in a weird position. If I have to use it to get a meal, sometimes I will. I mean, a handful of times, but I, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's so, it's so confusing, man. <laughs> well, tell me about that rally. I was actually, what, what was your experience of that? Yeah. Well, um, a gentleman who was uh, putting it together reached out and he saw my Fauci impression and he said JP was going to be uh, emceeing it. So I thought if JP's involved, then I kind of trusted it would be, um, you know, a calm, peaceful thing. So <clears throat> I flew out there on the 23rd of January. And uh, yeah, it, it was incredible. I, I got to march from the uh, Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial. So I got to be in the rally and like see who was there and see, is this a January 6th thing? Is this a Trump rally? Is this a fucking, you know, on and on and on. It was incredibly calm. The only disturbance was people who were screaming that we were all white supremacists. 
and Trump supporters and stuff. So the only disturbance and threat of violence came from, um, I would say, some left, far leftists that came to protest the protest. Wow. Um, Families, moms, every religion, rabbis spoke, black people, white people, everybody was there. Nothing bad happened. Uh, I think I saw one Trump flag out of 40, 50,000 people, which I don't, you know, doesn't bother me. It's still a freedom rally. Um, Every speaker pretty much made it clear that this was not an anti-vaccine rally. Uh, uh, Even Robert Malone, who's the most controversial guy, I guess, you know, completely condemned anyone that's anti-vaccine. Um. Yeah, it was incredible. I spoke right after Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And so I got to be at the bottom of the steps, just kind of watching him from like 10 feet away, which was wild. And uh, went up, told some jokes and and that was it. It was a it was a big success. You know how many people were there? I, th- I think there was close to f- somewhere around 40,000 people, maybe more. Have you ever performed in front of a crowd that large? No, no. How was that? You know, I've been on a variety of stages, never 40,000, never 40,000. Yeah, some people said 20, 30,000, but there was one uh, shot from the press tower where they filmed the stage and then went around towards the, the Washington Monument, and it was the exact size as when Martin Luther King spoke. So I don't know what that number was, but um, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't nervous because a, everybody was so excited to be there. Everybody felt like they were heard and supported for their medical choice. And uh, you know, all the jokes I did were poking fun at this stuff and, and it just so happened. I discovered this after I performed, but almost everyone there knew who I was. These are the people that I've been watching and sharing my videos, which is not that crazy to make that connection. But, um, you know, these are the people that were turning to people like me and JP for, for laughs about this stuff. So it was, you know, yeah, it was incredible. Well, uh, speaking of Martin Luther King, have you always had the dream of being a comedian? Is this how long have you been doing this? How did you get into this? Because it's a you know that's a big quantum leap for most people, uh, courage wise, to go ahead and tell jokes in front of a random crowd. I mean, that's a big deal. I would say most people are more scared of that than actually a lot of things. Even with the news, I don't know. I mean, can you imagine if the news coerced people into being stand-up comedians instead of staying at home by themselves? <laughs> yeah. Well, my dream was to be a, a female uh, black comedian, but that didn't pan out. Um, I won't even go into it, but didn't work out. So I had to do the straight white male thing and uh, do my best. You know, I was always like the jackass class clown, hated school, hated authority. Um, fought with my teachers, did impressions of them when they would step out to use the bathroom. They'd come back and I'd have like their suit on or jacket or whatever. So I didn't stand a chance in the education system. And then um, uh, just so happens 
and this will give you a window into public school. I was friends with a guy who taught acting in high school. We would smoke and drink together. I would go to a teacher's house. He'd come to our parties. He was a young playwright. He was awesome. Like, I don't think he tried having sex with anybody. Uh, maybe, but, uh, but I took his acting class because I was about to fail out of high school and I knew he would give me an A because I could have got him fired easily. So I was, you know, I got that, that guaranteed A and I got on stage and people started laughing and he pulled me aside. He's like, you need to pursue this. And that was it. Like that one per guy that, that gave me that one little 30 second talk. And then uh, went into acting and in, uh, theater in college and then did stand up in college and then dropped out of college and came to New York. Nice. Where'd you drop out of college from? The University of Rhode Island, the, the top five colleges to drop out from. <laughs> is that like in Providence? Where is that in Rhode Island? That's in uh, Kingston, Rhode Island. Yeah, about 30 minutes south of Providence. I guess everything is 30 minutes away from Everything Providence and Rhode Island. I don't, I don't know. I've been to Providence. I mean, Rhode Island seems kind of like over the radar. The beaches there, I was pretty impressed by. They're gorgeous. Yeah, I grew up going there. And um, so, yeah, I dropped out. First did six months to a year of like depression at my, you know, back at my parents' house. And then the comedy just got me through it again. And, and yeah, so I've been doing it for 12 years in New York. Got into all the clubs about two months before COVID. Started making a killing, you know, and then and then gone. Locked in my apartment, you know, with twelve years of comedy experience and a camera, and so I just start, I started a podcast. I started watching JP, going, "Oh, he's doing these videos every day or every other day," and uh, pure survival mode. I mean, I was broke, I was scared, and I just kept making stuff. And my following grew from like 30,000 on social media to about 500,000 in six months to a year. That's and great to hear. Making six figures. <laughs> so, so do you think you're doing better, you're doing better financially than you would have if this oh, didn't happen? Oh, uh, I'm making about four times what I was at my best before this. Yeah. How do you, how do you, where are you making money from? If you don't mind. Yeah, no, I don't, I'm, I'm uh, pretty open about it. My podcast, because it's important that comedians know what, what's out there for them. Um, uh, YouTube ads uh, is one source. Um, you know, if I have a couple of viral videos that could be, you know, anywhere from three grand to 13,000 grand a month. Um, and then working with is this still roughly like a million views is like 1500 bucks. Is that about right? Or is that, uh, I think it's a little more than that. I think okay. a million views now is, um, no, maybe you're right. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. I kind of know sort of a little bit about this because I made a video with my daughter. I don't know if you've ever seen the Ohm Daddy video, but we got like a, a million views per hour on Facebook for about 25 hours. And then it got to uh, every news outlet and every YouTuber and every, I mean, I'm talking like every yoga thing just took the video off and it. Um, it has 80 million impressions on Facebook. And then I put it on YouTube 
one day it went viral and it got 10 million views in a few days. And I was like, what the fuck is my, why is my YouTube not uh, monetized? Mother, I was like, what? And I looked back on my dashboard and it's like, oh, your YouTube wasn't monetized after a few months ago since you didn't do it. And I was like, whoa, whoa. So I called a friend that I knew that works at YouTube and they managed to expedite my process. Wow. And, and then it stopped going viral right when they monetized it. It, yeah. may, it may have plateaued at that point. What's your most, what, what's been your most viral video? Um, uh, let's see. I think I used to do a lot of these like man on the street prank videos where, uh, um, like, you know, the humans of New York photographer. A little bit. I think I have yeah. seen that. Yeah. He used to be so big, but nobody knew what he looked like. So I dressed, I just dressed up as a photographer and walked around New York and told people I was him. And they like went fucking nuts. And I had them make up fake stories because that was his thing. He would post like, you know, this was the spot. My girlfriend broke up with me and I come here every month. And so I would be like, hey, just maybe tell them, tell us you're homeless and you shoot up in the fountain. And, and they all went along with it because this guy was so, you know, viral. So I, I got into these like so, so see, you know, social experiment videos and those all used to get millions of views. Um but then what happens sometimes or a lot of times to comedians or actors or creators, then the networks come in and they want to they want to grab you, you know, uh, but it's nearly impossible to get a show produced and put on TV. So I, I ended up kind of freezing my my eggs, I guess, for about five years as these TV networks said they're going to make me a star. And, and so so. That was part of the COVID thing was like, all right, I'm done with that. You know, I'm going to build up my YouTube platform. But I just did a one where I was like this woke guy shaming the unvaccinated, but kept getting kind of caught up in the contradictions of it. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm protected. So if you're near me, then you, I'm fine, but you're an asshole. But, and it was just kind of like based on, daily conversations of people shaming me and I'm going, you, you, you're, you're not, this isn't supported by science. And that one got like 6 million views. Um, but it was a YouTube short and YouTube shorts don't have ads on them. So what makes a YouTube short? I don't even know about that. Uh, it's, detail. A minute, it's, it's a minute or less and it's gotta be vertical. If you put it this way, it's not a YouTube short. You can't put an end screen or an ad on it. And, it, and then you're part of a YouTube short um, program, like kind of like TikTok, where you just get uh, a f some funding for, for having it on. Now, yeah, I lost about 13 grand from that not being, at, uh, you know, monetized. But, uh, it all comes out in the wash. I got a bunch of followers from it and, and I'll never do a show. So, so instead of $13,000, I got $110. Wow. I don't even know about that dynamic. Is this stuff you talk about in your podcast and what's the name of your podcast? Podcast is called the Tyler Fisher show. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of stream of consciousness type of thing. I'll, I'll, you know, talk about, 
in my stand-up shows. I'll, you know, I also want to be open with people about what it's like to be, to pursue something like this. And so, yeah, I talk about the money I'm making, what I'm doing, the jobs I'm getting, what auditions are like. I just did a movie. So I got to, um, and then on Patreon, I, I kind of do more like behind the scenes stuff. I, I give them like some extra stuff. Uh, and that's another source of income. That's, that's, uh, you know, you have, some super fans on there and they want to see more. So um, it's not huge. I'm making a little over a thousand a month on that. Um, but, you know, I know comedians that make tens of thousands a month just from Patreon. Just from Patreon. Oh, what about that fans only? Do you do a fans only? Uh, I don't do the only fans. No. No. <laughs> Oh man! Um, all of a sudden, like I'm just realizing how many comedians um, may have never been actualized because they never gave themselves the chance that you gave yourself in that high school thing where your friend told you, like, you really got to pursue this. Like, how does ninety-nine percent, ninety-nine percent will never? In my opinion, I'm around comedians a lot. Most of them will never get the permission or give themselves the permission to just be awesome and enjoy all of it and to be successful and to take time off and all, all that stuff. Yeah. It's, I, I stop. I don't hang out with comedians. Maybe there's one or two I see, but I had to break away from, it's a very, uh, in my opinion, a very toxic self-deprecating um scene and, and i'm also thinking about just the people that may be so scared to get on stage that they don't know how funny they are until they get on stage yeah that's true yeah yeah if they ever make it on the stage but i mean even just volunteering to be on any stage like one of those isn't there like shows where you can like volunteer to be a stand-up and what is that called like where you get a minute each Open mic. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I did that for for eight years. <laughs> Do you ever have like when you think back? Because I think about like how I was once obsessed with baseball, and I really thought that was like a thing I was going to be doing for longer than I actually did it. I had some pretty high points and some pretty low points. Is there like a high point and low point of your comedic career on yeah, stage? I I hit all sorts of high points, but I, you still don't really know what you, who you are, what you want or what your voice is. It's so, um, I got on America's got talent, which was a temporary high point, but then I got kicked off after the first episode. And then that was like a several month depression because I thought I was going to be and they really manipulate on manipulate you on those shows you know they want everyone to think that they're going to be a star so you start to think like that and you're like i you know i got to perform for five thousand people at, when i'm used to being in some piss covered bar basement when nobody wants to hear what you're saying so um that was a big high and then a big low. And I would have those all the time. I get a role on a TV show and think, oh, this is going to be the new normal. And then like years go by before I even get an audition or I've had 
big managers, Jim Carrey's manager, uh, I had a meeting with, and then someone at their company represented me. I didn't hear from them for a year and I dropped them. You know, it's, it's, it's like this constant thing. And, and now I have more stability because I, I don't rely on those, that industry machine anymore. And so the, I don't have the highs as much or the lows as much, but I have more of a stable life and a stable income. That's pretty interesting. And it sounds like you did a lot of impressions. Do you ever um, feel like impersonating someone you could take on like an essence or something in that spiritual aspect or do you ever think about that kind of stuff or no? If I take on their kind of essence? Yeah. Like when you do, like you say you're impersonating someone that you really don't want to be like, um, oh, is there yeah. a chance that like by embodying that archetype, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how this works. Is it like a straight spiritual thing? Is it, what, uh, what's your opinion? on impersonations. Yeah, I love them because you really, no, I, I really do feel I have to pretend like I am the person, right? So if I'm doing a Donald Trump impression, like I dominate the room and I own the room. And if somebody interrupts, it's like, excuse me, shut up, shut up. You know, I mean like, and people respond to it really well. So it gives you a chance to see what what other elements you actually have in your own being by portraying these other people? So uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's a lot of fun. It's probably worth doing as like a class for people. You know, I mean, that's what you do in acting class, I suppose. You take on other personas and pretend to be a monkey or all sorts sorts of stuff. But um, probably be good for non performers to do stuff like that to to find different parts of their personality. I mean, I'm, I'm, um, have you ever watched Jordan Peterson at all? I think I, I definitely have seen Jordan Peterson and I've listened to a few of his books and like the recent podcast with Joe Rogan, it was like almost five hours. Yeah. So I, uh, I think uh, you, do you have an impression video of him? If I remember correctly, I think I saw. Well, I mean, one. well, it's like, I'm not going to like go doing it right now. You know, it's like, it's sort of like a time and a place and it's, this is not it, you know? It's like I haven't even cleaned my room. You think I'm going to go impersonating a psychologist? It's like, no. It's like, man. It's like, no. <laughs> but I've watched, I've watched hundreds of hours of him. And uh, he, he really believes, like, you have to develop your inner monster. Like, you have to develop yourself to be absolutely dangerous but then find the ability to control it. Otherwise people will eat you alive. And that's exactly true. I'm, I'm five, three, you know, uh, when I'm shaved, I look like Macaulay Culkin, like in home alone. And so men and women alike have always ha had quite ease sort of pushing me around and bullying me. So uh, from the help of watching Jordan, I've kind of figured out, how to develop my inner monster. And so if I have to kind of pull from something Trump does or Bill Burr or whatever, um, you're just expanding your own sort of abilities to, uh, to be a human. And so that's like what I would say. So that's pretty much basically all. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, have your um, the danger of impersonation, like when you were mentioning you were 
impersonating the photographer. Um, it brought me back to this story once where my brother and I used to do a lot of like mobile marketing brand ambassador type of work. And at one point uh, we were at a NASCAR in Talladega, Alabama. And uh, everyone thought my brother might have been Carl Edwards Jr., this guy that does backflips. And he okay. could, my, my brother could do a backflip too. So, okay. He, one day out, we just decided we would pretend like Carl Edwards is selling, signing autographs for the next hour. And um, <laughs> he was signing them and people were flipping out and taking pictures. And then one guy said, that's not Carl Edwards. Yeah. And then I was like, uh, bro, we got, I'm going to, let's go hide in the trailer now. Because there was a whole thing that was starting to stir up with these Talladega fans. I don't know if you've ever been in Talladega, but that is a cultural oh. experience. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble with these impersonations? Um, yeah. I mean, when I was doing the Humans of New York, uh, I approached a family who was meeting because their mother had just died. And they were like, oh, this is we love humans of New York and she's obviously brought this, you know, to happen and, you know, and they got emotional and that was, that was quite uncomfortable. My, my producer on the video, he's like, this guy doesn't give a fuck. He goes, let's put that clip in there. I was like, we cannot, I had to fight him to be like, I am not putting that on the internet because if they see that, like they're mourning the loss of their mother, you know? Um, but I've done, uh, uh, what did I do? I did. I pretend to be a jockey at the, um, uh, it's a big one in long Island. I forget the name of it. Uh, a horse race, one of the big ones and, uh, got on the news. The news was there. I just, made up a name for my horse and had the full jockey uniform. People would see me and just associate with me with one of the jockeys and get my autograph. And, uh, um, that one, there were some close calls with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the goal was to get me on a horse. So like we were working our way, to try to get me like in a stable, <laughs> but it, we never got that far. Well, you said, what did you say your height was? <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm like probably like five, four, five, four. Yeah. What is a jockey? Jockeys are pretty short. Typically. What are they like? Yeah. Four I foot, think four I, foot seven. I might be too tall to be a jockey, not to brag, but that's on my Tinder profile. Height <laughs> too tall to be a jockey. Is it really? No, no, no. Uh, that's a good. Do you do any of that online dating? Yeah, I, have, I put my height in millimeters on Tinder just to uh, trick women. <laughs> oh, it's three thousand millimeters. That sounds sounds pretty tall. There's something about that. <laughs> doing millimeter measurement that could be a turn on. I'm bad. I'm especially if there's three thousand before it. Once uh, they've uh, made it mandatory to put your height on a lot of those dating apps, I don't match anymore. Which is which is so interesting because that means women are actually putting you can you can actually request to only match with men in a certain height range, and once that became available on all the apps, I virtually almost stopped matching. And this is sincere. 
Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, I've yeah. Had, I've heard about this too with the vaccination status. Do they do vaccination statuses on these apps? Do they you know? do. So I get double hit, right? Because if they request a six, you know, even a five, five and up vaxxed guy, um, um, yeah, it's really devastating. It's uh, the, the implications for dating with this vaccine thing are really bad. It's causing a lot of issues with a lot of guys that I know. Like they'll be on a date and they'll say they're not vaxxed and the woman will will walk out. That's that's hard to believe. I mean, I, I, I've had people walk out emotionally on me when I like brought up certain things. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize. Yeah. That was like a deal breaker. I can see that, but... Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've told women they've were, were so turned off. I could tell like they just wouldn't see me again. And, uh, it, yeah, I think it's the most divisive thing to happen to this country since, uh, I will say Jim Crow. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think there's a definitely a big advantage just like, you know, with your comedic career that at first it seemed like, wow, this could be a huge constraint. Yeah, I was getting a lot of hate, a lot of like real like death threats and high school friends being like, you sold yourself to the devil. You're a piece of shit. Like I was blocking people I went to school with and that slowly stopped. And then everything was getting bigger and better. And yeah, similarly with the vaccine thing, you know, well, I, I, uh, unvaccinated sperm might be one of the most um quality commodities coming up in the future here yeah but i had i did have my sperm vaccinated uh with very small needles just to be safe <laughs> that'll, be the, that'll be the next thing fauci's like you have to vaccinate each individual sperm to get ahead of the curve <laughs> i nothing would surprise me almost everything i've joked about has come true yeah, that that has been a major thing for me as well. That I, I didn't realize. Wait, where are you? Where do I'm you in, live? Oh yeah, so I'm here. I'm in the front lines of it all in Boulder, Colorado. For Colorado, I don't think it's nearly as intense as like New York City or Los Angeles or Seattle or anything like that. You have but, a vax uh, mandate? Um, like at certain, like at the theater, like at certain oh, but places. Not at restaurants. Oh no, no, no. Dude, no. even but, that alone is like, what are you living in the fucking freedom zone like that? I went to Boston before their mandate kicked in and everyone's like, Boston's really bad. But the fact that I could sit down at a restaurant, I was, I felt like it was like the most exciting two days I've had in, in a year. I guess I just don't understand the intensity of New York city. I haven't been there in a while. I mean, is this like legit? Everyone is just like ubiquitous, like passport, passport, passport. Like, is that how it goes? Everyone now has like a passport bouncer. Uh, literally a passport. You, you have to show your ID and your passport. Uh, you have to wear your mask until you sit down at, at, at the stool. So some places even yell at you about that. We just lifted our mask mandate here. And a few days ago, every single place I've gone to since then, they don't care. It, it's, it's not lifted. It's so ingrained in these people that, I've already gotten into three arguments at cafes. Like, it's so bad. Oh, because they are basically mandating it personally outside of the government's suggestions. Yeah, it's a lot of them are just going to make it a built-in thing. So, 
I'm not even sure they even know that it was lifted. A lot of I, I got to feel like in New York City with all the variety, there's got to be like some sort of like, it's like a, the new speakeasy, like... <laughs> We don't give a shit here. Come on in, guys. Now there's, you haven't found a place like that. There's a couple. There's a couple. And, and you know, this is what's something I've been calling out is the least vaccinated are Asian, Black, and Latino. So I'm in, I'd say, like a 90% um, West Indian neighborhood. So... They don't ask for it here, which makes sense. Yeah, I believe that. That's the, are the international restaurants here in Boulder are the, the most laid back for sure. So, yeah, the, I guess the less white you want to say the restaurant, the less likely it is that they ask for it. So um, it's all insane. It's insane. Yeah, I've had the most issues um, with people, uh, young women, young women. You have a yeah, the least likely to have any issue with COVID or any of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're intense. Those are the ones that get me. But I, I can't yeah. tell if they're hitting on me sometimes. I'm like, maybe they're just hitting on me. What are they saying? <laughs> They'll put a mask on. <laughs> you have to have a mask on. <laughs> I mean, I'm no, uh, I'm no therapist, but that sounds like the opposite of hitting on. <laughs> Sir, I'd like to see less of you, please. <laughs> yeah, my my ongoing joke for my own life is like delusional <laughs> optimism. So I'm just like, yeah, they're hitting on me. I just can't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you might as well. Yeah, you're like Ella, AOC when she said uh, all the Republicans want to have sex with her because she uh, went to Florida or something. It's, it's it's more it's easier than to swallow the reality that they actually are um, getting off by trying to get me to cover my smile. Yeah, that's a good tactic for life. You, you might as well rewrite rewrite reality where you can if it's not like going to turn you into a sociopath. But but uh, yeah, I'm off to Florida next week to do shows. I can't wait. I, I'm like. Oh yeah, well. So if anyone's from Florida listening to this, where where are you doing your shows at? And you, yeah. you come to Colorado. By the way, I'd love to see you perform. I've performed. I want to come back to Colorado. So yeah, I'll, I'll look into doing shows there. But uh, Florida, I'll be in uh, Tampa on the twenty sixth, and St. Pete on the twenty seventh of February. And those that's uh, on my website, TylerFisher dot com. Nice, nice. Congratulations yeah. on that. That sounds fun. Going yeah, to yeah. That, well, that's the other in, income source that I missed is touring outside of New York. Touring YouTube and Patreon, huh? Touring YouTube, Patreon, and sponsorships because there's a lot of companies that you know aren't massive. You know, they're mid low. You know, low to mid sized companies. Um, who can pay a few grand here and there for a, a sponsorship and they're not, um, they don't have to go down the woke sort of lane. So um, it's just another benefit of, of breaking out of that sort of, uh, yeah, woke, kind of woke comedy, I suppose. Who's the funniest person you know? Funniest person I know. Personally? Sure. Um, JP's definitely up there. What the with with his level of um, 
he's so prolific. Like to be, to be able to crank out a six, seven, 10 minute video, solo video three times a week uh, is pretty damn good. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I know JP pretty well from a long time. He actually did his first comedy show at one of our events that we had. Really? And that was pretty incredible. And what I will say about JP, which is, makes it even more funny, that he's actually probably the most spiritual person I know, probably, like if I had to be judgmental against it. And um, the hardest worker I know probably actually as well. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been so great because I, I reached out to him when I was kind of transitioning into these new opportunities and he gave me advice and helped me and was like, yeah, man, you're, this is just the beginning, you know? So I, I, I didn't have any of that support with stand-up comedians. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't welcome success very well. So to have a guy like JP and um, uh, Brent Pella is really funny as well. He opens for JP hilarious and then a guy ryan long i don't know if you know ryan long i've heard the name but i'm not so familiar check him out uh he did a video jp ryan long's another one he's he puts out a video every monday it's a quick sketch about something going on in the world or you know some woke madness uh i think i know who you're talking about he's fine yeah 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 he's a (laughs) tall guy he's canadian and works with this guy danny uh polish polichuk Polish, like some kind of another Canadian, but both really funny. Yeah. Well, on that note, you know, I'm coming close to a conclusion here. Um, how does someone become funny? If someone's wondering. Become funny. Um, being born a little funny is, is pretty important. I think you can, ah, oh man, you, you can improve your funniness by writing a ton. And if you want to be a writer, then you do, then you write. If you want to be a funny stand-up, you need to get on stage and write. But if you're already a little funny or you can make people laugh and you can sit down and focus and write every day and perform, you're way ahead of 80% of comedians. And then if you love yourself on top of that, you're game over. Like you're going to make a ton of money. And be, you know, you're just going to kill it. Is that, you think so? Like by loving yourself, you're, that's been a quantum leap for you or something? Or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you have to, yeah. You, 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 when people are reaching out uh, deliberately to hate on you or heckle you during a show or like that, it's going to happen every day. So if you have like an overall love for yourself and you allow yourself to, not be funny one night or lose a friend or lose a fan or whatever, you know, I just blocked a patron, a guy that pays me money. Uh, You know, he was like, you're, he basically was like, stop selling out. You're selling out by doing political stuff. And I was like, that's actually the hardest thing for me to do. It's been the most challenging. So this guy didn't really care about my journey or respect it. So I was like, take a hike and, that would have been hard to do if I was desperate for attention and money and all that stuff. Do you know how much he was paying you regularly? Like five bucks a month. Does someone want to step up and start? It was my dad. It was my dad. (laughs) (laughs) But he still pays me on Christmas and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if you want to be in this, in this business, like 
you better have a good therapist, a couple good friends, not in the industry, like an intimate relationship. Like there's all this stuff that you, that, that really can balance it out. I, I got a labradoodle, you know, I spend half my day in the park with the, my dog. Um, I think I see that dog. Is it, is it sleeping in the corner of the couch? Oh yeah. Can you see it on the sort of, sort of a labradoodle? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a couple dogs too, pit bulls, yeah. or they have one human. Those two. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then hopefully, I'll find a slightly more feminine uh, date than you uh, to partner up with. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, there's a big opening right now for for performers and comedians who, I guess, uh, are are willing to not censor themselves. I guess is the best way to put it. Any, any tips on one, uh, how to love themselves more? Um, I guess you'd be willing to ask for help. You know, like I couldn't, none of it, anything that anyone sees happening in my life right now, making money, having better friends, all that was, you know, I, 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 I have a therapist once a week who I work on all this stuff with, you know, like, um, yeah, you have to ask ask for help, ask for advice. Like, can't think you can control any of this stuff. Let yourself get really messy, you know, like, especially if you're an artist, like if you allow yourself go, I'm going to go and try all this stuff. Most of it's going to crumble and be embarrassing or whatever, but then you can come out of it, like maybe a little sweaty and a little embarrassed. But if you can do that on repeat, then, it, then, then it's going to be a big uh, benefit. I hear that. Yeah, hear that for sure. And it helps to be a little taller than five four, but that's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's um the ability to get a little sweaty and uncomfortable yeah. over and, and over and, and, and over. Don't don't surround yourself with anybody who's negative. Like, period. Get cut them out of your life. Well, you on the you know you 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 joke about being short, and I think about like most comedians that sometimes some reason it's like, do you think it's easier to laugh at people that are like um not the 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 not the archetype that would put be on a billboard? Is there any like really good looking funny? I guess Kevin Hart's pretty good looking, he, but he's short. He's really short. Really short. He's How short is Kevin? My height. I've met Kevin Hart. He's my height. I mean, is there, what do you have anything to say about what I'm pointing at here? I'm like, have I ever met like a really handsome comedian? Um, uh, uh, yeah, I would say it helps to be not the most handsome, but, um, if your writing is really good uh, or not even handsome, but just like the whole thing, the whole bill that you're saying that you're not six foot, uh, I'm like, it's just, I've never seen a, a six foot one ripped white male comedian. Have I, or have I not? JP's pretty close, but he has really big red hair. He's pretty ripped though. And he's not that tall. He's not that tall. He's not that tall. Not a six um, foot. Who's the guy he does. He's like, he tells really dark one liners. Um, he got in a lot of trouble. Of course, everyone did, but I, there is one guy who's really handsome. <laughs> really pretentious but that's kind of like part of his act 
he's just kind of like, you're lucky to be here in front of me. Okay. Uh, but he's, he's handsome. I'll, I'll text you. I'll find out who that guy is. But no, there's not a ton. Well, because comedians are, are, are usually like the self-conscious, awkward, kind of socially inept people who find a way to stay home and write all. I mean, it's really sociopathic, really. You're, you're home writing all the things you're going to tell people later on that night, and then they're not allowed to respond. It's <laughs> a good point. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to make sure to include that we may have not? Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, so I put videos out on YouTube uh, a couple times a week and Instagram and then um, the podcast, the Tyler Fisher Show. And then if you like, if you like me a lot and you want to support to fill the void of that guy that I blocked, my Patreon is called Tyler Talks, all one word. And I put, um, yeah, I'll, I'll teach people how I write a sketch or edit a video or uh, I'll do like mini documentaries, like the, the, the DC rally. I'll do a little documentary about that. Just some extra stuff. Nice. Well, uh, thank you so much. And you can, you can like ask me anything on there too. So if you're pursuing comedy, I, I'll, I'll email with people on Patreon. So a little one-on-one. Do you ever, um, offer like access to where you can, instead of emailing them, they like voice note you i guess you could send a voice note over email that's a that's interesting i'd be willing to to if you want to join for 50 a month i'll be willing to voice note with you <laughs> yeah i mean i that's the most efficient way i can communicate i like i could probably talk to 100 people in one day as long as it's yeah. like all voice notes because I just listen and respond, listen and respond. Yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. Don't think, don't think. Just listen and respond, listen and respond. Well, I have an offshoot of that, which is Cameo. So, like, I'll, uh, if anyone likes me and sees an impression I do or a character, I'll do a personalized, like, one or two minute uh, video for somebody's birthday. Or, like, if someone's not vaccinated, I'll shame them as Dr. Fauci or, you know. So, oh, that's, that's the fifth way I make money. There you go. <laughs> Five ways to make money as a comedian. Yes. Yeah. That's a good title. Do you like that one? Five ways to me. Yeah. Yeah. You think there's maybe a book there or something or an audio book? Oh, I definitely think you don't have any books out or anything. No, I'd love to. I'd love to write one or do maybe an audio book. That would be a great book title. I mean, I don't know if it's perfected, but that essence. How to make money as a comedian. Five ways. You know, guys, like the five love languages. Five ways. Five ways. <laughs> to make money as a five comedian. ways to lose a Tinder date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. That was, that's a good deal too. Yeah. <laughs> I, <was big. laughs> I have a book called breaking normal. I think I, what I did for the book, um, because of the way I said, you know, how much more efficient with speaking. I uh, partnered with, uh, like a scribe slash spy. And, um, he spied on me for a month in Montana and we hung out in like all these epic spots. And then whenever something really cool would happen, I would do a voice recording and then I sent him voice recordings for like a year and then he would come back and write it and then I would edit it. But the editing took some time. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was the fastest way to write a book, but it would help me. Uh, what, where, what were you doing in Montana? I uh, love with that state. Yeah, we were in um, right between like Bozeman and Livingston and we would go to like Yellowstone National Park and do hikes and visit hot springs. So whenever I felt really inspired to 
I'm like, this is breaking normal. Now we'd turn the recorder on and he would ask me more questions. He would, not, he would, he would ah, help me. Yeah, he would kind of help okay. me. Oh, well, one more plug because you just said Livingston. I, ju- I just acted in a movie in Livingston, Montana. Uh, the trailer is out right now at the Daily Wire uh, on YouTube. Uh, what's, what's that? It's, uh, Gina Carano starred in it. She's the woman that was fired from Star Wars for a tweet. Uh, and uh, it's a great, it's a Western, like uh, old, old school Western film called Terror on the Prairie. And, uh, it'll be out in June, but the trailer is out right now at um, the Daily Wire. Wow. Well, Terror on the Prairie, I mean. It's pretty, uh, yeah, it's like a very on-the-nose title. I think of bison liver. I think of what I do. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we probably kill some. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's a very bloody film. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio in the... What's that movie where he like, eats raw bison liver? Is it called like... Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He actually ate raw bison liver there. That was real. In the film? Yeah, in the film. The Shoot, I keep forgetting the name, but it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. That's crazy. Um, oh, I eat raw. That's one more benefit, too, of like g- growing a, a, a social media following. I booked the movie from my Instagram page, and no agent or manager has wanted to work with me f- for five years, so that was a resurgence of a dream was getting that audition through Instagram. So they just hit you up through your Instagram. They there saw my go. videos. They're like, this is going to sound crazy, but do you want to audition for this Western movie? They didn't know that I have, I have, you know, classic you know training as an actor. So I was like, I just went for it. And, uh, next day I got an offer, but there, there, there is, uh, to offer some hope, there is a, a a new wave of filmmakers and platforms like the Daily Wire who's starting to produce Hollywood style style films, and they're hiring comedians, canceled actors, canceled producers, directors, directors, and uh, it's it's pretty exciting. I mean, canceled. That's just a, that's a document. That's a series, and it's is there a, is there a Netflix series called Canceled yet or no? <clears throat> canceled yeah. i actually want to know who all is canceled because i may have forgotten about them it's hard to keep up with it all yeah you can't really cancel somebody it's it's <laughs> it's an incorrect term to use you know pretty silly actually that we all use it well i think it's cool that, that some people thought maybe you were canceling yourself and that you've catalyzed a bigger career for yourself so using the capsule of comedy pre-canceled i call it so like I've been blacklisted from certain from agencies and removed from agencies because my skin color and gender are not trending in the industry. So I call it a pre-cancellation. And you just did everything else right by saying, you know what I really did, which is what worked, which is what I did with that guy making fun of the unvaccinated. All I did was kind of just say the conversations that I've had with these industry people talking to myself and turns out a lot of people relate to it. So it's like, they're giving us a lot of material. Yeah. What's most personal is most universal. That's, that's what's in my book. I got to read your book too. Is it on as an audio? Oh, it's on audible and JP reads it forward. It's oh my one. God. 
Yeah, we did a lot of retreats together, like where we got naked and everything in front of each other. It was nutty. Oh, yeah, thank God the, it's not a picture book. What's it called? Yeah, Breaking Normal. Breaking Man, I got two books already <laughs> from this podcast. Yeah, JP's uh, forward's good too, but it's a great book. It's a, it was a, you know, I had a, I had a crazy ten years. And now I'm on to the next crazy ten ones. We'll see got how, it, many, right how many more ten ones there are. Right I don't, there, I don't it. see it. Oh, there it is. Let's see the little guy in jail with the, the little Pinocchio in jail. Got there it. he is. There he is. Nice, nice. Man, well, I trust right. you'll enjoy that. Let me know what you think. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be looking forward to your book. I'll listen to it after the uh, the tortures of the Gulag Archipelago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, coming soon. Five ways to make money, Tyler Fisher. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. I'll we'll we'll collaborate. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, thank you for uh, tickling my funny bone and tickling plenty of others and your own. And, Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, yeah. Did you want to start the podcast now? Should we hit? Record? Yeah. Do you have any questions for me? I feel warmed up. Let's get, let's start this thing. <laughs> you got any questions for me before we, before we uh, begin? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the podcast about? <laughs> Schedule synchronicity. Perfect. Yeah. And I usually do them in person, but there's been about 5% that have been done virtually. So thank you for breaking normal with me. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to come to Colorado and do some shows. I love it there. Yeah, there's a, um, you know, I, I know a place right down the road. If there's like any issue with like unvaccinated venues, I know a place right now that'll host you. They'll, they'll just host, they'll host your unvaccinated sperm till your, till oh, your, shit. your happy ending. What kind of place is it? Uh, it's right down the street, kind of, it's right on the river and it um, hosts about probably 150 people, Max, oh, if you want to. That's like my, that's like my size right now. It's Dunbar's number. So let's get that tribe going. Let's get a Tyler Fisher tribe here at the Riverside in Boulder, Colorado to make fun of what's going on all around us. That'd be great, man. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have your book sponsor it. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, seed planted. Uh, great, thanks for remembering man. that future with me and we'll see which ones actually come true. All right, man. Dude, thanks for having me on. We'll keep in touch for sure. Yeah. Thank you. And much love to your doggy back there. What's uh, its name? Uh, Freddie. Yeah. He's ready to, he's ready to be cuddled. Freddie's ready for cuddling on Valentine's day. Thanks for being mine. All right, bro. Yeah. All I'll right, take care. This. Peace. <laughs> Peace.